This episode is brought to you by the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the Shop 1 in 5 Pledge, and we're inviting you to take it with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most. Because the truth is, your purchasing power matters now more than ever. Head to shop1in5.com to take the pledge. Make that commitment to shop one in five of your purchases towards a small business. We also invite you to shop the directory if you don't know where to find other small businesses. It's right there on the page. And we're asking for you to share the pledge. Imagine if each of us told three to four people about the Shop 1 in 5 pledge. It would be an incredible and life-changing for so many small businesses. Tell your friends, your family, and your social network. It costs nothing extra and makes a world of difference. Our purchases have the ability to change lives. Okay, let's jump in. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlosita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. In today's episode, we are re-airing one of our favorite episodes. If you're new here, then welcome. We're so excited for you to listen to one of our most popular episodes ever for the first time. And if you're a longtime listener, we still encourage you to tune in and listen. You never know what new lessons and aha moments may stand out to you now that didn't before. All right, let's dive in. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my delightful co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sita. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So first off, we want to thank everyone who has joined and signed up for our course, Multi-Stream Machine. If you have missed out on that opportunity, make sure that you head online to theproductboss.com and sign up to be notified when we have the course open again for you to grab and learn from, right? Yeah. It's been exciting because there's been such good reception to it as far as like product bosses that want to scale, they want to make more money. And I think we really hit this um, stride with them as far as like getting them to grow in a really smart way. Yeah. And so many of your questions are like, how do I grow this? You know, how do I take my product from this one platform and really grow it and scale it? And so we, we bundled all of that up into this amazing course into multi-stream machine where we talk about eight different ways, eight different platforms for you to grow and make more sales and more profits and, you know, grow your business. So this episode, we want to jump in and talk to you about the questions that you ask when you are approaching a contractor or manufacturer to partner with. Yeah. Manufacturing is this mystery world that a lot of people don't know what to ask and what questions to ask. So this is all about that world and what you should be asking when you're pulling quotes from different manufacturers. 
Yeah. So first off, what I, cause I work with a lot of startup companies and oftentimes they don't have anything figured out yet, right? Like maybe we've just designed their product or designed their collection, but they still are at that point of, well, now what do I do? So for example, I'm working with a handbag line right now and she has all of the designs fleshed out, but that's it. She doesn't know the materials. She doesn't know where she's getting the materials. She doesn't know how it's all going to get made. So she is set up to talk to a few different handbag manufacturers and contractors. And she asked, you know, what do I ask them? So we came up with this list for her and we are sharing it with you. So the very first question to know if you are ready to work with a contractor or manufacturer is what is their minimum order quantity? And that will also be referred to as an MOQ. I feel like this is the hot question of everywhere in manufacturing because you have the small batch manufacturers that it's really low. Sometimes it's only one, sometimes 10. And those are so nice to find if as long as the costs are lower. And sometimes it's like 5,000 or 10,000, which can be scary, but the unit cost will go down. So you really need to know what is their minimum order quantity. So usually for clients that I work with, especially in the apparel world, it's like usually 300 pieces per style per, uh, well, usually it's per style and sometimes you can break it up per color um, is usually the minimum. And we've met people that can do 100 pieces, people who can do 50 pieces, but depending on the industry that you're in, it may or may not be industry standard considered production versus maybe a development, like a smaller development run. Um, So when you're asking those questions, what are your minimums? And someone says to you a thousand pieces, you might say, okay, that thousand pieces, is it a thousand pieces per style? Meaning when I say style, it's like one version. So um, one shirt, one candle in one scent, one cookie flavor, right? Is it per, per style? And they might be like, yeah, it's per style or per item. And then you might say, well, are there variations? Can I do, I'm going to go to the shirt idea, um, a thousand pieces per style. And can I break that up by colors? And they might say, no, it's a thousand pieces per style per color. Or they might say, yeah, it's a thousand pieces per style. So that one shirt, but you can break it up into four colors. And then you know that then you're getting, um, what, 250 of each of the same style, but in four colors. Yeah, that's the way it is for for a lot of beauty companies too. It's like a thousand, and but then it's like broken down to whatever. Like let's say soap, right? You can do four different scents, and then it it's like let's say minimum order quantity a thousand and thirty dollars for every time you break it down into whatever scent, right? So they might have that extra cost as well, but. I feel like when you find a manufacturer with a really good unit cost and low minimum order quantity, you that's like a major asset of your business. You know, once you find the right manufacturer, it's a really big deal. You want to make sure that you're getting a lot of quotes and finding the right one for you. But I will warn you all, okay, <laughs> that if they are someone who's like, yeah, I'll do 20 for you. And yeah, I'll do them for, you know, $5 each. The quality may not be good. So you also just have to test things out as you're going that sometimes you might be paying more per unit, but they're really true to the timeline that they say that the quality is there. Sometimes if you're okay with the quality being not as great and you need things done fast and a low quantity, you really have to kind of decide what you what you're doing. So what you can also do is you can sample it with them, right? So you can say, all right, I'd love to test this with you. Let's try out a sample. Um, 
going back to the bag companies, I had a client trying out this one bag with a company and they were like, yeah, this is awesome. Like they can do a hundred of them. They're going to help me through this whole process. They're going to help me with sourcing all these things that we're going to get to. Um, and they're going to get me the bag cut to like the four weeks that they said it would take the fourth week. The bag was not there. The fifth week, the bag was not there. The sixth week, my client's like freaking out at this point, being like, are you sending the bag? Is it even made? And then I think they sent <laughs> proof of life. Like they sent pictures of the bag to be like, <laughs> let me talk to the bag. Put the bag on the phone. <laughs> the bag is there. The bag is alive. Because sometimes they'll push it and it's not actually made and they're just kind of not telling you the truth. And then the bag finally got there. So they were really frustrated by the timeline of it, right? Even though I was pretty impressed with the bag, I was impressed with the sewing. I was impressed with the fact that these people were going to do it. And that was when it came down to it with, do you want to work with them knowing that their timeline is longer? And you might say, yeah, I just have to account for that when I'm ordering. I need to give them more time to do it so that, and that you're not living on your schedule and knowing that their schedule is different than yours. In that scenario, we call it, they're holding the sample for ransom. (laughs) (laughs) That is an industry term, everybody. (laughs) That we coined ourselves, right? So So minimum order quantity, you're asking about the minimum order quantity and you're asking about a sample. Sometimes they just can have off the shelf samples that they can send to you. Sometimes those cost like 50 bucks, but it's worth you checking out their quality and then, you know, sometimes they can have you send it back, right? So just pay the $50 because or in that this case, it was $1,800. <laughs> well, I mean, if they had pre-made ones, you know, yeah. like. But and, that, and that depends on like what you're making, right? So mm-hmm. um, certain things like Mina does labels, certain things are labels or labels or labels and you're checking a quantity, you're checking the quality on it. If you're putting together something like especially apparel, we have a lot of swimwear companies that, um, that listen to this podcast and that are in our communities. For swimwear, for example, they can send you a bathing suit that they did. They can tell you, yeah, I made all of Beach Bunny's bathing suits. So if you, if you know that it's a bigger company that they're manufacturing, that already is like a, okay, they work with a bigger company and they can tolerate them or they're doing a good job. Otherwise, you may test out a few different contractors. Like you might you might have to pay a few different places and see who follows through with the things they say they're going to do. Right. This is where you're asking the questions and gauging the customer service. So if they are real slow and sending you that sample, then you should kind of flag their turn around even for a sample and be like, oh, they're not the best as far as customer service. If they're slow with answering the phone or replying to an email or telling you they're going to send you a proposal by this day and they don't send it, I just want you guys to see the red flags prior to. It doesn't mean that they're not going to do good quality. It just might mean that it, they're going to tell you one thing and it's going to be a different day and you just have to figure out what you can tolerate. Yeah. Do they get your address wrong? Do they not get it till the very last minute? You know, it's like, do they have a process built in for bringing on clients? So I always see that as if they have a good process and they assign me to a customer service person and they seem like they have their act together, I like that about a manufacturer. Yeah. So that's asking the minimum. So we really want to break it down again. I'm just going to review the total quantity. Like they might say, we're just asking for a thousand pieces total. You can break it up over styles and colors and whatever, but you really want to chip that down into how many per style, 
How many variations or colorways can you do on it? What, what does that look like? And a tip I think you actually brought up that you didn't reference as a tip. Sometimes you can offer to pay more. So you might say to them, I'll pay you more if I can make a thousand, but break it down over six colors versus four, right? It might be worth it to you to have more variations in the very beginning. Um, and you would be willing to pay a bit more because contractors and manufacturers are always thinking like, they need to get it to the lowest, lowest price, not realizing that a lot of smaller businesses are, have the ability to pay a higher margin while they're starting. At least for the first run. Yeah. You know. Also, that moves us to what is the shipping cost? This is something pretty big that you should keep in mind. Um, with the manufacturers that are really seasoned and have done this time and time again, they can give you quotes. You know, they they can take your zip code and say, if you were to get this amount, this is probably how much it's going to cost. Of course, it's going to be a range, but they will be able to quote you on how much shipping costs, give or take, will be around this range. And then in apparel, for example, they might not tell you that, but it might be the fact of like, let's say if you are ordering overseas and you're ordering production overseas, you're paying less per unit whatever you've worked out. They might be able to tell you, well, it's FOB, which is um, freight on board to a certain port or location. They might tell you it's like to Hong Kong and then you have to pay the difference between Hong Kong and getting it to the Los Angeles port or getting it to New York or however you're going to get it into the country. So whether they can tell you how much it's going to cost to ship to you or you have an understanding of how it does get shipped. Is it being brought in on a container? Is it manufactured locally and you can go pick it up? Is it manufactured in another state and they can ship it to you via UPS? Is it slow boat from China? Is it on an airplane? How is it coming in? Understand that and know that you will eventually be building that into your per unit price. Right. Are there tariffs that you need to pay, which is kind of shipping, I suppose. Let's lump it in there. Um, it is. <laughs> and yeah. it's something you don't even know until, until you get the bill. Like It's not something that's pre-discussed that this is what you're going to be paying in tariffs. Right. Um, and that's if you're shipping from international. So, so many of those things that can really add up, it can double your cost. So make sure you ask that as well. And I've had this conversation recently with clients that are manufacturing in China because of this whole trade war situation that's happening. Mm-hmm certain products can still afford to be made in China because that margin of, I think it's about 25% that there's going to be an increase to import is still lower than if you were to try and make that domestically. So if that's part of your model and you're going to sell, you're going to manufacture overseas and you're going to bring it in, it still might be cheaper for you to pay that 25% versus if you're like, a huge company that's making product that's like five, ten dollars, twenty-five percent is nowhere near anywhere that you can afford to like lose that percentage. Yeah, especially on the first run when you're when there's a lot of money that can be lost. Uh, the next question is, what is your turnaround? Very important. Just like what Jacqueline said about, you know, if you expect it at four, then does it come up to you at six? What are you gonna do? Also, Chinese New Year. If you're doing international, is it going to get to you before the Chinese New Year? Is it going to get to you before Prime Day? Is it going to get to you before the holiday season? These are all questions that you need to know and build in a buffer for the turnaround time. So in Europe, like they close down in the month of August. So that's something to know about that. And then there's Chinese New Year. So when you're trying to place your order in Chinese New Year is usually like that end of January, early February pretty much all of February is done for. If you needed something, you need to 
back into that, right? You need to start planning like way ahead if they tell you they need six weeks plus four weeks to ship or whatever it is. So turnaround is a big deal in the way that, again, that time, money, price, you get to choose, you know, time, money, price is the same thing, time, price, and quality. Um, <laughs> you get to choose two of those things, right? Um, so the time part of it, and the turnaround might be that there's just a standard in your industry. It could take four weeks. It could take six weeks per round of something that you're doing. Um, then you have to include the lead-in time of the materials getting shipped to them if you're providing your own materials or if they need it. Like I have a client right now manufacturing skirts that it's taking 50 days to get the zippers. So they're not going to start production until the zippers come in. So we have 50 days lead time on these zippers. Once the zippers arrive, then it's going to take about four weeks for production. Then it's slow boat in from China. So you guys, like that is like months and months before you're going to get these skirts. Yeah. And even looking at it like domestically, right? My labels are manufactured domestically. Sometimes the turnaround is a lot more in the summertime when it's my busy season than when it's even the holiday season when it's their slow season. So really thinking about does your turnaround vary and do you have to adjust to that? Because you don't want to be out of stock even if it's domestic, right? I'm, I won't have to wait for any zippers, but at the same time, like a day in my life is like, oh my gosh, when's it going to get here? When's it going to get here? Right. So um, you'll even see like sometimes I'll, the shipping turnaround time and it's like, oh, UPS was closed because of however many inches of snow. I'll be like, ah, oh, mother nature, you know? <laughs> so really creating a buffer. So then, you know, the turnaround for the manufacturing as well as turnaround for the shipping plus in your busy season versus your slow season and their busy season, quite honestly, and then their slow season. So you might be paying more for a company that has a lower minimum order quantity that has a very quick turnaround, but that might be worth it to you to only get um, a couple hundred of something to test it, get it quickly, get it to market versus you might be you might want to pay cents on the dollar for something that you have to order more on that will take a longer lead time, but you know you can get them for like 50 cents versus an alternative place where you're getting them for $6 a piece, you know, something crazy, crazy change. So this, this is where you are going to look at your business and think about what works for it and what doesn't. I think my advice from you for you being a startup like expert and having done this thousands of times at this point, I would actually rather you pay more and get a lower quantity to test it. And even something that's local, if you can, local or somewhere that you can get to, um, to test the market. So if you're a startup, I'd rather you be able to test this and then you can scale it. So as you're getting to learn the process, you're going to know how much it is at the same time that you're doing this, or you're going through your first production, you can source with bigger companies and, and know, okay, now if I, um, make more units, I can get it at a lower price. So, and a quicker or longer turnaround time. Yeah. Which brings us into our next question, just going off of that is like, where are the price breaks at? So what Jacqueline is talking about paying more, hopefully eventually you will be paying less per unit because you know what your next price break is at. So that's a question is like pulling multiple quotes. Where, where's the price break at and the scale of your discounts that you'll be getting um, as far as like how much you'll be paying per unit on the order quantities. So sometimes clients will say like, I just want to make 50 of each, 
totally fine. Maybe they're going to charge you, this is clothing. So maybe they're going to charge you $40 a piece to make 50 each. What I do ask them then though, is then find out what happens if you make a hundred, 200, 500. Usually for a small business, I'm only going to take them up as high as 500 because it's going to take a while for you to be able to sell that many of that style, for example. And why we do that is I want you to then probably price yourself as if you were making more. Because to have your first customers with your lower quantity, with your lower margins, have to pay that higher amount to set a precedent versus knowing that, you know what, actually, I'm only making 50 to start, but if I can get to 250, I can now make these for $20, then you're going to take a lower margin, but then you're going to have the ability to... Um, grow into that and have your product priced appropriately. So just know the quantities, that's like an extra tip, but just know the the quantity of scale of like the more I make, where can my price come down? So you can make educated decisions when you're pricing your product. And that's with every element that's in your product. So for soap, when I had um, the soap company, there was how much a minimum order quantity that I would need to get it stamped, how much I needed to actually go to production, and how much my packaging would be. So the boxes they would go in was a different quantity plus different price breaks for that. So, so many elements that you're pulling the quote on. So if I wanted to save money, essentially, I could try to save money on the box versus the actual soap too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like you said, you can use it on everything. So then the next thing that is really important for you guys to think about is what do you get to keep when you're working with these manufacturers? So if you are developing something with somebody, okay, let's say you're getting a mold made or... um, I don't know, you're making a handbag and they're helping you with the entire process. This is a huge thing in fashion that I tell people. What do you get to keep? If you guys are making things in China, like even clothing in China, you don't get your patterns. You don't get anything to remake it if you wanted to leave that factory in China and come back to the States and make a smaller amount of those pieces. That is not yours. You do not get it. They don't necessarily remake it, but they don't give it to you. So a big question when you're sourcing with somebody is, what do I get to walk away with? Because what happens, and I've done this for clients before, we've had to knock them, they have to knock themselves off. So a Hungarian company is making all of their bathing suits, cool. Then, but they couldn't get all the information from that Hungarian company. So then we had to resource all the materials in the US. We had to remake all of their patterns and we had to re-go into production for everything. So just know what you get to keep and walk away with and what is theirs. And that's going to help you determine whether you're going to start with them or not. I mean, for boxes, sometimes they'll charge you for like die cuts, right? Or specific patterns. Um, for printing, you don't get to walk away with any of that, even if it's stateside or, or even if it's in the state. So you pay that initial die cut charge or plate charge every single time you switch to a different manufacturer and it costs you money for the first run, but not for any other you know subsequent run after that. So um, making sure you know what you can walk away with. And a lot of times the industry will determine whether or not you get to do it. Absolutely. So again, if you're paying for a mold, for example, sometimes if you're making jewelry and you're making a component and you're paying for the mold, you want to know, like, can you get that mold to take to another place and use it again? Or do you have to pay for a mold to be made somewhere else? So just keep all of that in mind. So this is another question, another thing for you guys to consider when you're, when you're looking for these manufacturers is, can they help you in the design process? So if you're new to all of this, 
I'm going to go back to the bag idea. If you're new to all of this and you've got the design, but you don't really know um, what you're doing, you don't know like maybe the right materials to use inside of the bag, like for innards or um, like the stiffeners, or you're just starting, you're trying to figure it out. You kind of know the idea of what you want it to look like. Do they have a part of their company that can actually help you design it and develop it? you know, like take you through that process because they are the experts. And if you're working with them from the start, they can also guide you and say, actually, if you add on that extra pocket, it's really going to add a lot to the cost of this. If you want your end cost to be X of this bag, it's probably not a good idea to do this or to add this. Yeah. It's like sometimes the manufacturers will have like AutoCAD people on staff that they can, you know, put a, the AutoCAD thing into the CNC machine. I think that's like, honestly the for real terminology. Um, but it's whether or not they do that also in the beginning, that's the design and development help. But in the end, can they help you fulfill and do the packaging? A lot of people do that. Um, for my labels company or my labels manufacturer, they actually can do that. I'm the one who opts out of that because I save money going elsewhere, right? So do you want them to do it and do they offer it? And that's just kind of the ease of it. And so that's going to also lead me into the materials part. So um, can they, if they're going to help you with design and development, can they also help you with the sourcing of materials? Um, So can they, again, bad company, I can give my client a bunch of leather places. I can give my client all the piece, all the things. But if you have an expert, a bag manufacturer that is really good at what they do, they might have other sources that I have no idea about especially because they're in another country um, and it can be cheaper. So what you can do there is you can ask them, you know, can you, can you help me source the materials? I had a client make a bag. There's so many bag stories. I had a client make a bag that got to leave with her patterns. She got to leave with the tech pack that said how to do it. They did not share with her any of the materials. So she actually was still stuck because how was she going to remake that bag anywhere else? She'd have to go back through the entire sourcing process. So the more you can find if, or some things that you get made, like your labels, like all of that product might already be where you're making them and it's super easy and effortless. But if you're making something that's going together, you might have to source the components and ship it to the manufacturer or do they, can they help you source it and gather all the things in? And then the last question is, will they share that information with you? Yeah. And actually I heard a horror story where Mm -hmm. they got this mold. Um, So it was a Amazon couple, I call them, but they're, um, they were just business partners. It was two guys and um, they were able to fight the factory, the company to get their mold, but then they ended up having a falling out and then they had to fight each other over the mold. What ended up happening was he ended up having to redo the mold and by the end of it, it was very, very expensive. So at the end of the day, who owns that mold? Really, my clients? I've had two separate partnerships, two separate partners, two separate times. One was called me and said, so-and-so comes to your office. Don't give them any of the oh my God. I'm not kidding. Two times. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, who's the person who owns the company and who writes the check? Because that's really who I was... Um, you know, committed to liable to. And I was like, you know, cause are they both shared partners? Cause if they're both shared partners and it's coming out of business, well, whoever wants their patterns can, <laughs> but you know, obviously, yeah, that happens. So that's like a whole other conversation, but 
my goal for all of you is that you just kind of know what you're getting into. You may not care or need to know where the materials come from. That might not be a requirement of your product that you're making, or it might be. So if you're thinking of manufacturing, I just want you to know all of this so it's not a weird surprise. Um, I have a client that was making stuff, clothing in another country, and um, all of a sudden she's like, you know, I want to make a smaller amount of them here in New York City. And she calls him and he's like, no, you don't get your patterns. Like I'm never giving you your patterns because it would make him lose his business from her. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thing that she had to like look in the face and say, okay, now what do I do? Do I stay with him? Do I leave? What do I do? So if Jacqueline wanted to, when those two people were fighting (laughs) over the mold, she could have sold to the highest bidder quite honestly and held those patterns ransom. But that's another story for another day. I remember for both occurrences, I remember where I was. I (laughs) Like, because it's one of those calls, like you hope you're never going to get and you're, and it's like panic in my own chest. Cause I'm like, wait, I have to look at the contract. Who owns this business? Like, uh-huh. why are they fighting each other? I love them both. It's like <laughs> breaking up, you know, um, this but, is what the people with Shopify and MailChimp are feeling right now. They're like, Oh, my mailing list. Mom and dad. Mom, Mom and dad. Just- <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, at the end of the day, who owns the molds? Do you want that control? Are you just okay with not? And is it something where you typically wouldn't get it anyways? You know, so is it worth fighting for in the end, right? Sometimes you do just have to start over. So if you want that divorce, you know what? Live your life, get your groove back, whatever. You know, that's just what happens in whatever industry. (laughs) Stella, get your groove back. Um, so the last part about the, the materials. Okay. Another thing just to consider again is, will they include the materials? Will they share where the materials come from? If they don't, are they including the materials and you're paying when you pay for the production? Is it all in right? Versus I'm going to go back to clothing cause it's my world in a lot of ways. Um, in a lot of times with clothing, if you're doing them domestically, I'm sourcing the denim, I'm sourcing the buttons, I'm sourcing the labels, I'm sourcing all of the things, and then I'm taking all of that, delivering it to the the contractor, and the contractor is putting it all together, but I'm required. So they're only charging me for the labor, and I'm still asking all of these questions, but they're only charging me for the labor because I've also actually brought them my pattern. So I own all the different components of making a singular thing. Yeah. And all those elements, who's your contact person, right? Because Depends on who you're working with. <laughs> it could Go be ahead. just one person, like Jacqueline, or it could be, you know, the manufacturer of this and that and making sure like if, you know, something happens, you know who you'd be contacting and what what person is your contact person. And I think and I think that's a big deal for you and your work style and what you require from people. So I have some clients I've referred to contractors that are like really just so shops, right? Maybe there's someone who answers the email, but there's that, you know, and then I have other clients that really need their hands held and they're going to go with people that have like a production manager on staff and they might be paying more, but this person is kind of handling a lot for them. So you're going to need to, your guys are going to figure out your industry. You're going to figure out the type of people you're working with. Each industry has such a different way about them. Some people have come into the future. Some people are still operating from the old school ways. And one more tidbit I just want to add in really fast when it comes to like garments, for example. Um, 
you're actually not going to a manufacturer. You're going to a contractor typically. You are the manufacturer because you are manufacturing a product and you're actually hiring a contractor to put the product together. So um, depending again on your industry and knowing like who you're dealing with, like we have clients in food that are dealing with co-packers and kitchens. So it just depends on what you're making. Yeah. When Amazon's asking you who's the manufacturer, it's you. You're you, the don't manufacturer. To, you don't have to put down your actual manufacturer. You know, <laughs> That's actually their biggest learning thing to teach you guys right now that you are a manufacturer. So if you have any licenses that you need to get for being a manufacturer in your state, like you, even though you are not sewing them yourself, you're responsible for hiring labor that's putting it together. And those are your contractors and you are, you are the manufacturer. Yes. So. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> on that you. note, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's great. If you're going to, if you're thinking about moving this into contractors, like if you've been making it yourself and you're looking to hire, or as you're starting to think about scaling your business, or maybe you're taking it overseas or maybe whatever it is, these are just some questions for you to go through. Um, we are going to give you a freebie download for this where we actually will write down these questions for you. So you're going to, you don't have to take notes and scribble. We might've needed to tell you this in the beginning of the episode, <laughs> but we will give you the sheet so that you have something to go with. And you know, guys, make copies of them. And every time that you talk to a different contractor, go ahead and write the notes for them. Like, and that's what we'll do too. We'll put like the name of the contractor at the top so that you can then track, like I talked to contractor one and this is what they said. I talked to contractor two and this is what they said. And it'll be really easy for you to remember who you talked to and what they told you. Yeah. So check that out in the show notes. And first, we just want to thank everyone that has left us a review recently. It means so much to us. And Mina and I read every single one and they truly mean a lot and they help our business grow. So if you haven't done so already, it would mean so much to us if you could jump online onto wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. And um, that will really help share our podcast with others. And speaking of sharing, sharing is caring, as some would say. And if you guys think that there'd be any episodes that would benefit any of your friends, family, anyone that you know, it would mean so much to us too if you would share this podcast and subscribe to it. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks everyone. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Boss Podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive. And we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us. This episode is brought to you by the shop one in five pledge. We believe that when you purchase from a small online or offline business, 
your dollar goes further. Hey friends, Mina and I created the Shop 1 in 5 pledge and we're inviting you to take the pledge with us. It's a commitment to make one in five of your purchases from a small business online or offline. It's a way to make an impact together where and when it matters most. Because the truth is your purchasing power matters now more than ever. We're inviting you to take the pledge if you head to shop one in five com. The link is in the show notes. And when you get there, please make sure to share the pledge with your friends, your family, and your customers. Let's invite everyone to take the shop one in five pledge so that we can all use our purchasing power to change lives.